Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Welcome. My name is Darren, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hi there, Darren. Welcome to the channel of Single But Not Alone. In this, uh, I'll be the moderator for the panel. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the essay message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during the session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. We will begin the meeting with a few moments of silence following the serenity prayer, followed by the serenity prayer. Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Would someone please read the essay purpose from page 201 of the White Book? Essay Purpose. <clears throat> Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other so they may resolve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Thanks, Frank. Our panelists for this session are Matt and Tracy. Each will share... Do you want to do 10 minutes or 15 since there's only two? Well, you can do up to 15 minutes if you need to. <laughs> we will then open the meeting for sharing. Please join me in welcome, welcoming our panelists. All right, I guess we'll start and then I'll read the guidelines about sharing after. Okay. Okay. All right. So we'll open up to Matt, right? Did you uh, just go I, I think I'm. Um, is it recorded? It's recording. Okay, good job. All right. Um, hey, everybody. I'm Matt D. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, I'm Matt. It's Friday date uh, 216 and 15. Um, and, yeah, so I figured I would share a little bit about what it's like to be single in this program. Um, so what I wanted to start with, so there's a line in the white book, um, and I'm really bad about like referencing things, so I don't know what page it's on, but it says, you know, we, we have to make the choice to move from sex and self to God and others. And um, and I was thinking about that a lot, 
and like that line is is really always impacted me because it's really it's a it's a pretty clear choice and it affects a whole lot of different areas of my life. And so when I came in, everything that I did was about me. You know, it was all about you know gratifying myself with sex um, or doing something that was self focused and selfish that really only benefited me. Um, and I saw this play, and the first thing um, you know that I really focused on trying to find recovery from in this program, or recovery, you know, in, in this program was, um, in my relationships. So, you know, particularly, you know, like every, every interaction I had with other people was very much about, um, you know, like sex in some way, shape or form. Like, um, with, you know, with women, it was very obvious, like basically every woman that I, that I gave any, any you know, that I gave the time of day to, it was because I wanted to have sex with them. Like there wasn't any sort of like relating to women as just another human being. And even men, a lot of times it was like, you know, I would, you know, resent the men that I felt like might be, you know, people that would be, um, prevent me from getting what I wanted sexually, or I would, you know, um, make friends with men, you know, because I think, I thought it would help me sexually. Like, literally, sex consumed me in everything that I did. Um, And so I had to focus on moving from that sex and self to the God and others in my relationships first. And, you know, having the ability to relate to people on non-sexual terms. Um, and, you know, that was kind of the easier initial phase for me. And, you know, that took a couple years, and, you know, like, I'm still working on that, but I've gotten to the point now where I have a lot of, you know, much healthier relationships than I did before. I have the ability to connect with men in a healthy way, and I've even, you know, gotten a lot better about connecting with women in healthy ways. Um, but the thing that's really hit me in the last one to two years of my, my recovery journey um, you know, kind of after I got over that initial, like, how to interact with the world, is what do I do with my alone time? And, um, you know, because it says sex and self to God and others, like, there's that, like, sex versus others piece, but there's also that self versus God piece. And um, and so the, I guess the topic that came to mind when I was asked to speak in this, in this uh, panel is, like, what's the difference between isolation and solitude? Um, cause they both involved me being alone. Um, and when I came into the program, I was actually terrified of being alone. I couldn't be alone. You know, like I had to have some sort of stimuli. And before I got in the program, a lot of that stimuli was, um, was, you know, pornography or just numbing out on, you know, video games or the internet or TV or anything that would involve me not feeling my feelings is, is, you know, I just like all of my time was, was, was filled with that. And then in the program, I realized, like, oh, I can't do any of these things anymore. And so I started filling that time a lot with, you know, with relationships, which is healthy. But at some point, I realized, like, I actually still can't be alone with myself. Even years sober, I had a problem actually being alone because I didn't know how to engage with healthy solitude. I only knew isolation. And so one of the shifts that I had to make was realizing, like, okay, when I ha- when I have alone time, I can I have two options. It's just like with relationships. I can either you know engage with people in a healthy, serving way, or I can engage in people in a taking way. Um, when I'm with people, when I'm alone, I also have two options. Again, sex and self versus God and others. I can I can connect with myself and just be in my head and isolate. You know, not want to connect with others, just be completely wrapped up in me. Or the second option I have is I can connect with God. And that, to me, is the definition of true solitude, healthy solitude, is when I'm alone, I'm not connecting with me, I'm connecting with God. 
and um, and that's a hard that was a hard thing for me to learn how to do. Um, and actually, like it's funny because I think I, I believe that my higher power always leads me into what I need when I need it. And I had some circumstances in my life that actually kind of took me out of community that I was in, um, and almost like. I was in this almost unwanted period of spending a lot of time alone. And I was like, okay, like at first it just made me really uncomfortable and I got you know really jittery and I was like, I don't like being alone. And then it became more of a like, okay, can I accept this aloneness and can I look for God in it? You know? And so I started learning how to, you know, trying to learn how to practice healthy solitude. And there's a lot of spiritual writing out there on this subject. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's stuff that like didn't interest me before because I wasn't really at that level of recovery, but when I was ready for it, I started seeking out and started finding a lot of like, there's a lot of very spiritual people that have spent a lot of time figuring out how do I connect to God when I'm alone. And so, um, and I, and I, today I have a much higher level of peace when I'm alone than I did before because I'm not anxious, I'm not looking for a fix because I can find the real connection. The White Book talks a lot about the the real connection, big C connection. And that connection is with the source of my life, my higher power, who I choose to call God. And um, and to me, it's like, it, it's kind of hard to describe what that looks like. The best, um, like I guess, like practice that I can give is that like I make an effort to be consciously aware of the presence of God when I'm alone. So, I, you know, I think about God. I think about the fact that God is with me, that God is for me. You know, I think about the ways that I relate to my higher power, and, you know, I'm, I'm comforted by that. The, you know, the things that I know to be true about God through the walk that I've had spiritually, I think about those things when I'm alone, and I put my focus on those things as opposed to focusing about worrying about some situation or trying to solve some problem in my head or replaying some incident in my head, you know, any sort of, like, resentment or fear or worry. It's like it's all either living in the past or living in the future. And that, that healthy connection to God while being alone is living in the present, you know. It's like I don't have to worry about the past. You know, I don't have to try to figure out the future because when I do that, I'm playing God. I'm trying to fix the problem on my own. I'm not just accepting what it is and trusting that my higher power will give me what I need when I get to that point, you know. And that's hard for me because I'm like this obsessive compulsive like worrier, you know, and like, and that to me is like that really unhealthy, you know, isolation. But solitude, you know, it can be very peaceful, um, but it's something that's very difficult because like there's almost I almost had to kind of like push through this barrier because being alone was a trigger for me. Actually, loneliness was actually one of my biggest triggers. Um, And so anyway, that's I just wanted to share that. And so um, I think that's very important. Um, I think it's something that, you know, in my experience comes a little bit later on in recovery. But, you know, I hit that and I was just like, wow, like I really need to um, to learn how to, to be alone and to, to spend time in the presence of God so that I can, again, connect to God and others versus sex and self, whether I'm alone or whether I'm with people, you know. Um, and so I have, you know, I have a lot more peace with that today. And I have a lot more, I have a lot less social anxiety than I used to because, um, particularly in my recovery journey, when I, so I didn't have any friends when I came in. So I'm going to start shifting to talk about, uh, you know, actually connect with other people a little bit now. Um, when I came in, I didn't have any friends, and um, I, I really didn't. I had very, very few relationships, and I started learning how to connect with people in recovery, and that was very important to me. Um, and I started out with people in this program because you guys understood me. I could, I could. It was a lot easier for me to be authentic and real 
about what was going on in here because that's what we do in this program. That's the beauty of this program is that that's what the, the foundational basis of this program is rigorous, authentic honesty, you know? And, um, and that was great. And for like the first two or three years in recovery, like almost all of my social activities were with people in the program. And I am so grateful for that today. It was an incredible, incredible time period of my life. But at some point I started realizing like, okay, I'm going to start trying to figure out how to like actually be in community with like normal people, you know? Um, and I came quickly to realize that that's, uh, it's a lot harder out in the real world than it is in these rooms. Um, and, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a different thing, you know? Um, but it required me to learn recovery principles at a level that I didn't have when I was just interacting with people in the rooms. And, um, because of that, like it was very difficult, and I and I, I had to learn how to deal with difficult people, and that and that's part of the journey. But um, but again, like I I realized that like yes, like even if the people I'm with aren't as rigorously honest as I am, I still have to be, you know, like I still have to like, and I also have to be willing to be quicker to forgive, even when they don't make amends, you know. It's really nice when you get into an argument with someone in the program because usually they're going to make amends, <laughs> just, you know, like. <laughs> don't do that they just really don't do it you know like and so so that that was an interesting journey but it's you know it's really comes down to like oh it's the, the point i was making is that like i don't have social anxiety anymore because i used to have this anxiety around like if i don't if i don't do the perfect thing around people they're going to abandon me because i had a lot of that in my history because i had a lot of um my lust getting in the way of my relationships before i came in the program and I, you know, like there was five or six friend groups that I would join, and then I would do something offensive to women because I just was so consumed with lust, I didn't realize I was insane. And then I would get kicked out of the group. Like that was like a, a that was part of my history. I had a, a history of that. And so overcoming my fear around that was very difficult. And so that's why loneliness again was a huge trigger for me because I felt like I have to make these relationships work. You know, like tight fist, like not surrendered, like. That anxiety comes from lack of surrender, honestly, and because it's like I got to fix it, you know. And um, and I had to learn how to just be at peace with, okay, like I'm going to show up, I'm going to do the right thing, and either they're going to like me or they're not, and it's going to be okay either way, you know, because my connection to God is not impacted regardless. Like they can't take that away from me, even if they abandon me, and um, and so it's. It's been, you know, an interesting process in learning how to, like, let go of that control and just be me and not have to, like, be, like, people-pleasing was such a massive character defect of mine. Like, because, like, I needed you to like me because if you didn't like me, I didn't have anything else, you know? And that's part of what building, you know, healthy relationships looks like is, like, being, like, in order to have healthy relationships, you have to be okay with not having them. Like, because if you're not okay with being alone, you're going to hold on to your relationships too tight, whether those are romantic or not romantic. Like, you're not going to be able to let go of the need to control it. Because, and that's, again, what part of that learning how to be okay with being alone and being myself has really helped me in my recovery journey in everything that I do. Because I can engage in relationships without having to hold on to them like I used to. Um and so that's that's something that I've seen. Um, the last thing I'll talk about, um, and so, okay, thanks. Um, the last thing I'll talk about, and I'll talk about it very briefly, uh, is, uh, is, um, is the tension between being single and being okay with being single and wanting to date, um, because I do. Um, you know, there's some people in this program that are single, 
and they just, they, they, you know, either they're divorced or they just don't, they're just not really looking, you know? That's never been my story. Like, I, I want to get married, like, very much so. And it's been a difficult challenge to kind of, like, not deny the fact that that is a desire that I have, but also keep it in its proper context and, um, and realize that it's not the number one priority, you know? Um, and the way that I've tried to do that is, is making engaging what you know when I'm around people, I engage with them. I try to be helpful to them. I try to be as loving as I possibly can to them. I, I try to be as selflessly, um, you know, in service to them as I can be, regardless. And in the process of doing so, if I happen to meet a young lady that I'm attracted to, um, I you know might engage with her a little bit more than I would other people, um, and that. Is mostly I say it's worked out for me. I'm still single, but um, <laughs> um, I have a lot more. I have a lot more peace than I used to, because it's like when I walked into a room before, my one and only goal was how do I find a woman that's gonna like me? You know what I'm saying? Like that was the only reason that I was engaging with people socially. And today it's like no, the reason I I engage with people socially is so that I can be of service to them. And if I have you know, but at the, you know, but at the same time, if I happen to meet someone. I'm going to pay attention to it, you know. Um, but again, it's it's coming it's coming to to God with open hands and saying, God, I trust you to provide what I need. I don't have to control it. I don't have to like hold on to it. Um, and just you know, focusing on giving away, and then when I give away, I end up getting back. As opposed to before, it was I take, I take, I take, because if I don't take, no one's going to give it to me, you know. And it's it's a mutual giving and receiving that, that works a lot better. So. Um, that's all I got. Thanks for having me here. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. I'm Tracy, and I'm a sexaholic, and the topic for this meeting is single but not alone. And I'm very grateful to be asked to to do this. Um, I'm going to give you a rundown of my history, and I'm going to try to I'm going to do it really fast, and I'm going to try to relate it to isolation, how isolation started even from infancy. Um, my name is Tracy, as I've mentioned. I've been sober since July 2nd, 2013, and I'm very grateful to be in this program. Um, I was born in 1960, um, and I found out about seven years ago that I was actually conceived as a result of my father raping my mother. My parents divorced when I was a year old. That added to my isolation. My mother married my stepfather when I was a year old. I was the fifth of five kids. I had older brothers who were teenagers. They were trying to get out of the house. I had one brother who was a protector. He protected me and my sister that was three years older than me from my mean middle brother. Well, he left to go to college. Well, I felt very abandoned. I didn't understand in the context that he was leaving. He graduated from high school and he was leaving to go to college. All I knew is he left me alone with my mean older brother, middle brother. Um, went into grammar school, felt very isolated because I was the only kid in the class that had divorced parents. I would bring the signed papers back to my teacher. and My mother's name didn't match my last name. And I had to explain why the names were different. It was very in front of the whole class and it just, it was incredibly humiliating and incredibly isolating. I was also raised in a very conservative Christian religion. Um, I got bullied a lot at school because of that. Uh, that was very isolating, very shaming. Um, grew up, got sexually abused by my middle brother when I was seven years old. I grew up to develop same-sex attraction because I never bonded with any males in my childhood. 
just another step toward isolation. I'm different. I'm way different than anybody else. Um, got physically assaulted when I was 12 years old at school. Really bad. Um, just, just, it, it just the isolation just keeps going, keeps growing, and keeps going. So, um, I got married when I was 22 to a wonderful woman. Um, I overachieved in life. I overachieved in my faith. Um, just, it's ridiculous. Anyway, when I was in my 50s, I got discovered, got separated from my wife, uh, went to um, Al-Anon for six months, and then I got into therapy and got into SA, and that was life-changing for me. And I was able to get sober a few months later, and so now here I am. So being lonely, what I want to say about being lonely and having all the isolation I had a lot of it was based on misinformation. I was not the only person in the world that had this problem. I was not the only person in my faith that had this problem. I was not the only person in the world that was a sex addict. I was not the only sex addict that had same-sex attraction. I was not the only sex addict that had acted out the way I acted out. But see, all of those belief systems that we internally tell ourselves isolate us and make us lonely, and our addict loves our loneliness. He thrives on our loneliness. But for me, to be lonely is a choice. I'm not a victim of loneliness. I'm not a victim of my circumstances. If I am lonely, I have decided to be lonely, and I have decided to have a pity party. I can throw some of the best pity parties you've ever seen. And I'm really, really good at it. And I still, to this day, cannot get anybody to come to my pity party. (laughs) So, what have I done about being lonely? Well, first of all, I didn't like it. Divorcing from my wife, she and I got along really well. Of course, I was on a morphine drip our entire marriage. But she and I got along really well. We had common interests. We enjoyed each other's company. We had a very decent marriage, in my opinion, besides that I was a sexaholic. But as far as getting along, it was really like I was married to my best friend. And so that was a huge loss from that. In fact, one of the things I miss about marriage the most is sleeping together. And I don't mean the sex. I mean sleeping in the bed with another human being that you can cuddle up with at night and wake up with in the morning. So... Going to bed at night is a lonely period for me. Waking up in the morning is a very lonely period for me. So after I got into recovery, I came to this meeting, and I think it was in this room. I used to go to therapy down the street, and then I would come here and join the meeting about 7.05 or 7.10. or No, y'all start at 7.30. So 7.35, my therapy session was over at 7.30, so I would just come racing up here. A guy in this room said that he does a morning sobriety renewal phone call with somebody else. Now, this was my first year in recovery, and I had just started group therapy after doing private therapy sessions. And he said he does sobriety renewal, and that it's been saving to his life, to his recovery, to his sobriety. So I go up after the meeting, and I say, tell me about this phone call. What do you do? And he said he gets on the phone every morning with another guy, and they do their sobriety newer questions and they talk about the day. Well, my brain started going and I thought, well, if two are good, four is even better. <laughs> and being an overachiever, I thought, I'm going to get three other guys and we're going to start doing a morning sobriety renewal call. 
So I went home, talked to the guys in my local group. Four of us started. I just asked them, just promise me to do it for 30 days. This sitting a lifelong commitment, promise to do it with me for 30 days. So we would get up and get on the phone, conference call at 610. And we would, we decided, and I don't mean to discriminate against this, we decided the sobriety renewal call questions were a little bit, um, common and we did, that's not what we needed. We did a morning meditation out of the meditation book and then we discussed how our previous day had been and any fears we had coming for the next day. And it was wonderful. First thing in the morning when I got up, I got up at 6 and at 6.10 we get on the phone call. That's been seven years ago. Okay, after 30 days, two of the younger guys from my local group dropped out and I was a little bit devastated. But I was glad that I had done four because I still had one guy left. But being a greedy overachiever, I needed two more. So I asked two guys from my local group, and one of them is Mike C. that you guys may know from up here. And they said, oh, yeah, we'll try it for 90 days or for 30 days. That's the key. You you lure them in, which is 30 days commitment. And so that was seven years ago, and the four of us are still doing it. And it's it's just incredible. A second thing I do um, that just happened to me about nine months ago, as I mentioned, going to bed at night was very lonely. And so I would flip the TV on because it would make some noise and I didn't have to think about how lonely I was. So I'm a member. Um, by the way, I, one thing I was going to tell you about isolation, I got this fellowship from the religious organization I've been a part of um, when I got into recovery or when I got found out. And... That caused isolation. And then two and a half years later, I was able to be reinstated into that religious faith. But the good news about that is, the good news about the discipline from my higher power was, it forced me to seek out relationships in SA. And that's what, so I had a clean slate. I had no friends when I got into recovery. I had literally lost all of my lifelong friends. And so... Even though that felt like isolation, it was actually my higher powers pointing me into the direction I needed to go at that time in my life. But I misinterpreted it at the time. I misinterpreted it. So, about nine or ten months ago, I'm on a a group um, chat with people of my religious faith all over the world that are members of S.A., and this guy said, I'm having a terrible day. Has anybody got a minute to talk? So I called him. He's in Finland. And we talked. And he texted me back and said, thanks so much for the talking. We talked a couple of days later. And he said, I really have a hard time when I get up first thing in the morning. He said, and it would be really good if if, if we could talk on a regular basis. And I said, well, I'm out to go to bed when we talk, so this is perfect because I have a hard time going to, going to sleep alone. And he has a hard time waking up. So for nine months, we've been talking Monday through Friday. He calls me at 10 o'clock every night, and it's 5 o'clock in Finland when he wakes up. We have about a 15 or 20-minute chat. We do a scriptural reading, and then we do um, the real connection for his day. It's always the next day for us. That's, it's just been incredible. It's just been incredible to have that contact. Now, what do I get out of um, out of this, and what does it that helps me from being isolated and from being lonely? Um, my core, my the, the root of my problem, as the white book says, you know, the white book encourages us to get to the root of our problem. What is it that we're looking for that we're not getting, and so we're looking for by acting out sexually? The root of my problem, what I was looking for, was love from men. 
I didn't get acceptance or love in my childhood. I was very ignored. I felt very ancillary to the family group. I mean, obviously my parents met my physical needs because I'm still here. But my emotional needs were not met. And so I felt very ancillary. Well, now that I'm in this program and now that I reach out to help others so that I won't be lonely. And it's important. I used to help you. Like if you called and said, I want you, will you help me move this weekend? Oh, yeah, I'll help you move this weekend. But what you didn't know is I had an unsubmitted invoice and you owed it to me for the rest of my life. If I ever needed to move and you didn't help me move like I helped you move, you were dead to me. I had an unsubmitted invoice is what my therapist called it. So it was always with strings attached. What I did for you was always the strings attached that you owed me. And I had files and files and files of these unsubmitted invoices. And But now, I heard yesterday on a podcast, love is a verb. It's not a feeling. Love is a verb. And so now when I help people... I have no expectations of anything in return. The only thing that I get out of it for sure, now I may get stuff in return from you, and that is wonderful, and I'm grateful for that. But the only thing that I get out of it for sure that I can count on is love of self. I love myself. Which sounds weird, and it sounds self-centered, but see, all of my life I hated myself. And so loving yourself is the opposite of hating yourself. And I had... Um, hatred for myself. So, in order to not be lonely, the first thing I do, if, if I, if I feel lonely, the first thing I think is, who can I reach out to? Who can I call right now? If I feel lonely five minutes later, it's too late. I've, I'm already got that loneliness embedded in me. I don't wait for it to get to a toxic level before I do something about it. Because the longer I wait, the worse it is and the harder it is for me to get out of it. So I call someone right away and see what I can do to encourage them. Um, also, sponsorship has been great for not being lonely. And there again, I, I try very difficult. I, I can be very codependent very easily. I purposely work on not being codependent with my sponsees. And there's some here, and I don't know that they would agree that I'm working hard enough. But I I work to not be codependent, and I work to give and not take. I work to give with my sponsors and to not sponsors sponsees and to not take. Additionally, I have people over to my house. Um, I've had um, fellow members and their wives that I've gotten to know through the years will come over to my house to eat. Um, we've gone out to eat before. We also, as you can probably tell, I go out to eat after every SA meeting. <laughs> it's almost a, it's almost a certain rule. But the, the camaraderie and the association is so important for me not to feel lonely. I really look, look forward to it. And, uh, making phone calls. I'm telling you, if you don't make phone calls, thanks. If you don't make phone calls, or if I don't make phone calls, let me speak in the eye. If I don't make phone calls, it's just, it's the death of me. It's the death of me. And if you are struggling to make phone calls, pardon my French, you need to get your ass out of your head. That is critical. Not making phone calls and trying to be in recovery is like holding your breath and expecting to live. It's very elementary. A five-year-old 
would make phone calls. So when when you have a sponsee that's struggling to make phone calls, when I have a sponsee, it's not about the 100-pound phone. It's about what's going on between their ears and it's about what's going on to their heart. Because when you make a phone call, you're reaching out and you're saying, I need your help. And so it's a lack of humility when we won't make phone calls. People say, well, I don't want to bother. I don't want to bother them. What's the first word of that sentence? Exactly. So you're still thinking about yourself only and your core problem. My core problem was thinking about myself all the time. That's just been mentioned by Matt. I, it's not that I think highly of myself when I got into recovery. I thought of myself too much. I thought of myself too frequently. I spent too much time thinking about myself, not what I could do for others and not what I could help others with their problems. So that, for me, is why I probably am going to be single the rest of my life. I'm still in love with my ex-wife. I don't know that it could work out for us to ever be together, but I am Tracy. I'm a recovering sexaholic, and I'm single, but I'm not lonely. Thanks. All right, uh, guidelines for sharing, because our common welfare comes first. Here are some guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we, or the you. We leave our identities at the door, including politics, religion, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about... And from the essay point of view, our meeting focuses on solutions to our essay approach to recovery. Whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not essay or AA-approved literature. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid profanity, sexual description, and sexual abuse of language. In sharing, if a speaker uh, brings up a controversial topic or deviates from our guidelines, the moderator will interpret and uh, interpret the speaker and ask them to interrupt the speaker and ask them to honor our request. Please note that your shares will be recorded. In, in sharing, we encourage you to focus on the topic of the meeting. That is not this is not a check-in meeting. If you need to check in, please find a temporary sponsor, someone with a purple um, dot on their uh, name badge after the meeting with whom you can share. We ask those who wish to share to please come up and sit in the chairs uh, next to the uh, microphone in in a queue. Uh, As one person moves to the sharing chair, the others uh, just move over and the other person takes the empty chair so that as many um, members as possible um, have a chance to share. Please limit your sharing to a maximum of two minutes or less. A stop sign will remind you uh, when you have reached two minutes. Please speak into the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. Uh, the meeting is now open for sharing. This is where I sit. I think. Sure. Okay. I'm Matthew. I'm a sexaholic. I'm Matthew. Also an SNL. Uh, isolation, loneliness, single. Um, I'm single. I've never been married. Um, that's been a source of emotional pain for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate what was shared about acknowledging that desire in a healthy way. Um, 
you know, a lot. Of, I'm I'm pretty much a monogamous sexaholic. I wasn't really acting out with a lot of people at the same time. I was just making my romantic decisions and trying to find a wife through lust, which doesn't work very well. And if you try to get into expecting a monogamous relationship with an active sexaholic, that doesn't work very well either. Um, what the program has given me is a ability to have some good relationships with men um, and to recognize the difference between healthy solitude and isolation. Someone once told me, isolation is the dark room where I go to develop my negatives. Um, you think about it like in a, you know, as a photographer developing your negatives in the dark room. It's, it's basically a way that I go and develop <laughs> negative things and spend too much time in my head. So uh, uh, solitude for me is usually doing something and I've used my single time very constructively over the last year, year and a half um, and learning to do things I never wanted to do but never thought I could and just allowing myself the ability to do that like learning how to box and play slide guitar and carpentry work uh, getting certifications and education to, for my work done all that um, I do I was just talking to somebody about this I do have the fear that I won't meet her I do have that fear that you know I would like to be a husband and a father um, and I do get frustrated with essays that have been married or are not single when they will say well she's not going to save you um I think that it, it, I was designed to want that companionship. That's what my religion tells me. Um, and that is what the literature tells me. The paragraph that nobody reads in the 12 and 12 and step 12 on page 117. Nearly every sound human being experiences at some time in life a compelling desire to find a mate of the opposite sex with whom the fullest possible union can be made, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. This mighty urge is the root of great human accomplishments, a creative energy that deeply influences our lives. God fashioned us that way. So I sometimes push back on my sponsor and say, I'm not going to apologize for having that urge. Uh, it's different now. It's not, hey, I'm horny. It's, hey, I want companionship because my God made me that way. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm, you know, with the gift of SA, I am okay by myself, with myself, 80% of the time. That's awesome because it used to be like 2%. And I think that that's a normal human healthy balance. That's all I have to say about that. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Thanks, Matt. Hi, I'm William. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, William. Uh, this is a good uh, topic to get uh, listened to. Uh, last week, I got back from visiting some friends, and it was really good. Uh, I was able to spend... Like, a lot of time wasn't able to act out, basically, because I was basically spending 24-7 with them. So that was really good. Uh, but then I get back, and my uh, loneliness kicks into overdrive. And uh, <laughs> it's really nice also to hear people say, well, if you're lonely, make phone calls, because I haven't been doing that nearly as much as I should be. 
that's where I'm at is recognizing my feelings of loneliness um, and how much that will affect like everything else because I will do pretty much anything not to feel lonely I'll watch uh, uh, way too much Netflix I'll play too many video games or something like that just not to feel lonely and it's funny because I have a whole list of things I need to be doing but uh, not feeling lonely is the number one priority for me if I'm being honest with myself so uh, part of me knows I just need to make phone calls and like reach out to people and engage with people because loneliness is the weirdest disease because we know all we all know the cure reach out call people it's the scariest sometimes we feel like the, the cure is more dangerous than the disease at least I feel that way excuse me I should speak in I let me hear you uh, so I feel like sometimes that's the scariest bit because I, I can feel projected so easily uh, or feel that I'm a bother to people that's all I have to say. Thanks for letting me share. Thank Thanks. Hi, I'm Hal. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Hal. SA has uh, really changed my perspective on uh, just about everything in my life. And um, I have been single since... Uh, 2010 and um, I've been married twice and I have three sons and two grandchildren so I have an enormous amount to be grateful for and um, but you know I, I had always looked back on my loss of marriages and failed relationships uh, just as that I was a victim and that if only this and if only that and you know, if they had only done this and, and all this other that I looked at. And SA has helped me to revisualize my past and see where I was at fault and for what I was to blame for, which was most of it. And uh, as I have characterized before that my first wife, um, she didn't leave, she escaped. And that was because primarily of my acting out and the choices I was making in my life at the time. All that to say that um, prior to coming to SA, I viewed my loneliness as a burden and something that had just been put upon me by the bad luck of the world. And I had just drawn the wrong deck of cards. And I just was uh, a living example of, of, of someone who the, the dark cloud followed around. But... Um, being a part of the program helped me to completely visualize everything and where instead of where I saw fault and um, things that were wrong I found things to be grateful for and in my loneliness it has now turned to solitude and my uh, feeling that I'll never have another relationship again I'm having great relationships that are flourishing and um, I'm finding that emotionally I'm connecting with others in a way that I never had before because I used to think that I was a failure at relationships. I was going to do it. And, and I'm having success at relationships now because I'm connecting with other people in ways that are true and real and based on rigorous honesty and connection. And 
I just cannot express enough gratitude for the fact of having that in my life. And I don't consider myself a victim anymore. Um, I'm grateful to be a part. I'm grateful to be uh, with who I'm with and to have what I have. Uh, I don't say if only anymore. I don't say when dot, dot, dot happens then. Um, I'm living in the moment, and I'm enjoying what I have. And, and for me, the, the, the key has been gratitude and humility and turning my sick, twisted heart inside out and uh, letting some light in and, and just stopped this pursuit of feeling like I was always empty without the relationship or that I was incomplete somehow. And I realized that that was a lie to me. And uh, I, I'm complete just who I am, uh, good and bad. And I'm grateful that there are those in this program who know everything about me and know the very worst things about me, yet they still choose me. So that's what I have to be grateful for. Thanks. 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 Ryan, sexuality. My sponsor would get on me if I didn't share about loneliness. <laughs> Thank God he's not in this room. Um, I've always had a lot of cha- lot of challenges making friends. Um, I fear the f- I-, I fear being alone. Um, I have not been on a date in ten years. Um, um, This is an incredibly timely. It, it's it's a really really deep subject for me, um, and if I'm being totally totally honest, I, I am a lonely person. I really am. Um, I can do a good job at kind of putting on that front and going, no, no, I'm okay. I'm I've, I'm doing other social activities. No, in myself, I'm really really lonely, and. Um, I really need to hear that it's okay um, that I don't I don't have to be um, um, and it's okay to have friends and that I don't need her to fill that void because I know I'm really guilty of that of seeking out um, my neighbor or a coworker or just people I go out to dinner with like ooh she's going to fill that void um, one of my one of my hopes and goals is to man let me get enough recovery so that I so that I can date so that I can get married that's that should that I realize is unhealthy that should not be a goal um, I really fear being alone for the rest of my life I, I, if, if I'm being 100% I really really do I just don't know how to connect um, and um, I really need to make more phone calls <laughs> and, and, and be taught and be willing to be taught um, that it's okay to be um, who I am in my own skin and when when I present myself in an honest way, um, other people will accept me. Um, but I think more importantly, I'll begin to accept myself. That's all. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, Brian. Brian.
My name's Ashley. I'm a sexaholic, lustaholic, uh, addicted to being lusted after and getting attention. Um, and really uh, grateful for this topic. Um, it's something I've definitely been struggling with for, man, years and years, but definitely more over the past couple months. Um, took some notes. Um... The program has really, I've, I've always felt um, like an emptiness for most of my life. Um, I, I don't need a whole bunch of people to be happy, but I like having a small tribe of, of people around me. Um, and I've, I've really uh, enjoyed just the companionship of a lot of relationships that I've been in, like, like one of the speakers you know, a lot of times it's not the physical stuff, or it's not the um, the sexual stuff. It's just having somebody to go to the grocery store with, or you know, do small things with. Um, and there's probably a lot of codependency in me, um, but I I get a lot of hope from what somebody shared about what's on page 117 the 12 and 12 it, it makes me feel a lot better because it uh, it says it's okay that I that I feel this this other side of me that I don't have um, and a lot of my program has been motivated towards being a healthy person so that I can enjoy in a healthy way um a romantic relationship. My my three biggest goals in life is just to be a good husband, a good father, and a good friend. And um, I'm grateful that I realized that without this program, without deep connection to my higher power, and without healthy connection to other men around me, um, that I can be none of those three. Um, and it's really great to hear Although I know in my head I'm not the only one that feels this way. Um, like one of the speakers was sharing, you know, alone, sad, lonely, misunderstood, empty. Um, it's it's just good to be in a room and to be in a facility with a bunch of other people that can be vulnerable about how they feel um, and be vulnerable about their emptiness, especially in singleness. Um, I look around at, at a lot of people and I'm just jealous of what they have, marriages, children, solid friend groups, stuff like that. Um, and I'd very much like to be in a different place in my life than I am right now relationally. Um, but I'm glad that I have a program that offers a healthy framework to put relationship inside of instead of just trying to build the framework myself with my crazy brain. Thanks. Thanks, Alex. I'm Paul. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Paul. And I'll be brief. I've been married. I'm divorced. been divorced about four and a half years. Where I struggle is um, the desire for non-sexual touch that I miss from my wife. Uh, you spoke about being divorced. Um, that's very difficult. And um, I just that makes me feel more isolated when nobody touches me, and that's all. Thanks. 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 Thanks.
My name's Frank. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I guess the thing that, that touched me the most about this speech was, or, or the, the talks, was, was the whole idea of friends. And uh, I, before I got married, I, I felt like I did not have a lot of friends. And um, I got married, and one of the reasons I think I got married, looking back on it, was my wife had was very outgoing and had a lot of friends. So I married her, and suddenly I had all these friends that were basically hers, but became mine by extension. And it was great. Um, but I found the longer I was married, the more my friends were just her friends. And I get divorced... Um, a year and, well, December of 18. And it was kind of a messy divorce, to say the least. And um, I found that those friends that I thought were mine suddenly were not. And um, I had to kind of really take a step back and say, well, who are my friends? And I found that it was, you know, people that knew me and still supported me through this kind of painful divorce. So I, I really had to take a step back and um, just really try to figure out who the friends are. And it, it's really, it, it really kind of struck me. You, you really find out when you go through something like this, who are your real friends? <laughs> um, and I, I'm so grateful to have this program because, you know, most of my friends now are SA people to Say to, uh, to be very honest, but it's been great to have that support system uh, because I was married for a long time, and, and it's it's really a, it's a it's a resetting um, that's um, is difficult, but um, I, I feel strength. And, and someone mentioned the whole thing about dating, and I I'm kind of like I kind of like to, but I'm not quite sure. And I actually, I actually went on a dating site, and uh, for about a month, and it, it was just like uh, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> it was just, it was a little bit too, too much, too soon. So um, I hope I'll get to that point. But uh, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm good with where I am. I'm good with where I am, and I know that the friends I have are friends that um, are true friends. So that's all I got. Thanks, Frank. I'm Darren, a uh, sexaholic. I just want to make a quick um, thank you all for the speech here. And I agree, um, isolation is not good, loneliness is not good. And what I've died to get out of the loneliness, um, especially in this group, I was even, it took me a couple of years to finally do it, but started picking up doing um, various um, helping reset the rooms at the rooms like our sponsors um, say. And just start um, small chat with um, guys and, and things because uh, I just couldn't have conversations with um, guys uh, um, and stuff. And so with that, and also picking up that 100-pound phone, now the phone's just half a pound, if that, and stuff. It's so much easier. And it's so rewarding um, to reach out to somebody. And I, I was putting the I in front of that 
um, I don't want to disturb this person or, or that person doesn't want to hear from me. And But they do. It, it's helping keeping that person sober, too. I've got to remember that. And giving back um, unselfishly. I, I was all, always selfish. And so now I've got to be careful and not overcommit myself uh, to giving back. Um, but I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for uh, my higher power. He sees what I'm doing. And that's... Um, my uh, main focus now and it's a much better life um, and so I'm so grateful and um, that's all I have for that alright I'd like to it's about um, time to wrap up so I'd like to thank uh, Matt and Tracy again um, for that's all the time we have thank you for participating please join me Anything you have heard at this uh, meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. This is an anonymous meeting. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. And what you say here, let it stay here. Remember, we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anybody, anyone speak for SA. Let's circle up and after a moment of silent meditation, and I'd like to ask uh, John D. Uh, to lead us in a prayer of his or her choice. Keep cut. Sorry, Sorry for hands. Sorry, friends. I think so. Yeah. We're not doing elbows? Well, we probably should. Yeah, it'll be okay. Third step prayer. God, God, God I have myself to thee, to do with me, and to do with me as I will. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that I over them, may be a witness of God's own help, of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. And I do thy will always. Keep coming back because it works. It works. It does work every day, every night because you're worth it. That's awesome. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.